0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to my podcast, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind. I'm your host, Amanda Joy Loveland, and as always, I am thrilled and honored to be here with you. I am so excited to announce that my relationship course has launched. So this course, if you haven't already grabbed my free mini course, you can head to my website, you'll see a quiz, a relationship quiz that you can take that will guide you to my mini relationship course that I have gotten so many really beautiful, um, comments and feedback from, but that was just a little teaser to this relationship course that I am launching that is several weeks long. And this course is really guided and created for those of you who are ready to have a different relationship in your life. Though this is for those that are ready to have that beautiful co-creative, Transcendent relationship with the person of your dreams. And the person of your dreams is probably the one that you're with now, even if you're having challenges in your relationship. The hardest work that I've ever done with all the hours and hours and hours of personal work and training that I have personally done, the hardest pieces for me were looking at where I was showing up in my relationships and how I was showing up in my marriage. And oftentimes when we're pointing the finger at our person and saying all the things that they're doing wrong, that is your cue to turn that finger around and look at yourself. And where are you not showing up? Where are you not doing that thing that you're accusing your partner of doing? And that is probably one of the hardest questions to ask yourself. And yet this is radical ownership and radical accountability. And when we take radical accountability for our life, beautiful things happen and this relationship course is guided and created for those that are ready to have more of what they're seeking in their life so I highly recommend you head over to my website amettajoyloveland.com and go grab that my new relationship course and my retreat has five spots left my unbind and unwind retreat this is a women's only retreat And this is for those of you who are ready to step away from the world for four days and four nights with all women in Springdale, Utah, which is just right outside of Zions National Park. And this this is for those that are ready to put down the weight, the heaviness, those pieces and places that are no longer serving, and to take a breath, to be able to feel rejuvenated, and to fill your cup and to walk away from this retreat seeing parts of you that you haven't seen maybe ever and seeing those light that place of light within you that's truly magical and truly life-changing life gets to be easy and life gets to be full of joy and creation and fun and abundance and when we allow ourselves to go into those spaces to let go of what's no longer serving, then we get to call in fun, abundance, joy. So if this retreat is you're feeling a soul body yes right now as I'm talking, then this retreat is for you. Head over to my website, com forward slash unbind. And with all of that, let's dive into my next amazing guest, Katie Jo. Well, welcome, Katie Jo. I am so excited, and I I love how our paths have crossed. We don't know, we can't recall when we first met, <laughs> but as it's crossing again, and and I've been stepping into some of the circles that you've created that are just stunning. I'm I felt really called to invite you onto this podcast, and I'm grateful you said yes. So, welcome, Katie Jo. I'm happy. I'm honored. I'm excited. Oh, me too, and I love that I don't know your story. I mean, I know what you do now, I know all these these magical <laughs> things about you, but I don't really know a whole lot about your story. So I'm really excited to to
1: hear it. Oh my heck! I'm not even sure where to start with that. What would What would be a question to start that?
0: Well, did you grow up in Utah?
1: I did. I grew did up in Provo, Utah. hmm Born and raised. Yeah, yeah actually. I feel really, really lucky about my upbringing with Mormonism because I hear a lot of stories about people who come from Mormon backgrounds where their parents did not live what they preached. And I am mm. the opposite. I yeah. have. I I feel so lucky. My parents are true blue BYU. <laughs> like, Monday night, family home, evening, Saturday service projects, Sunday going, church choir, awesome parents. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Are they still active? Still true blue?
1: Still true blue. They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Good people. So I feel really lucky. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know a different reality.
0: Yeah. And in Provo, Utah, you were in the bubble.
1: Oh, there's a bubble. Yeah. There's a bubble there.
0: (laughs) I grew up in Orem, so yeah, uh-huh. there is a bubble.
1: <laughs> there is a bubble. And uh, I'm sure that many of your listeners know that the bubble Mormons are different than worldwide and different yeah. than out of the bubble. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And people very... in the bubble don't
0: know that. <laughs> Hence the bubble. <laughs> <laughs> One of the, I think the bubble's starting to pop though, there's more and more diversity that's coming in into Utah and into Utah County. So I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you have all these mama bears that are fighting for their kids, especially right now with the whole, the whole pandemic and whatnot. So I've been grateful to live in a County where we haven't had as much restriction as other places. And that's just my personal preference. So on that side, I'm grateful that I live in, in the bubble
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: That's been nice.
1: Yeah. I love Utah. I do. I love Utah. I think it's such a dynamic landscape. I think that it's clean. I think that there really is an essence among the, among the community, There's service there. There's There's mm-hmm. so much greatness here. It's yeah. really a beautiful place to be.
0: Yeah. So I assumed you, how long were you Mormon? Like what was your growing up and then getting married and having kids? Was that, what was that like with your Mormon background?
1: Um, Oh, as I take this deep, deep inhale.
0: Well, and you probably haven't thought about too much with what you want to share. I know you just got done with one, a, a sound healing Mm-hmm. Workshop the last few days and shamanic classes before that. So, yeah, yeah you get to breathe as much as you want.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I know I feel so grateful, so honored to be on this call. So grateful. I haven't really tried to think about what I wanted to say. In fact, it's so interesting as as we've been discussing a little bit about what the call's about. I love the upbringing that I came from. I love the faith centered. Um, foundation and structure that I came from. And it's also, in a lot of ways, just not something that concerns me anymore. And I know that's a silly way to say that, because so. that's the culture that I live mm-hmm. here. But it's just an interesting way to think about it. So when I think about growing up, I was one of five daughters, six children total, and the youngest is a boy. And my mom was a seamstress and so we had matching church dresses every single Sunday homemade with ruffles and lace and we would sit on the couch as she would you know braid our hair into into little braid crowns and we'd go out and have to pick the baby's breath and put it into our hair. (laughs) how cute yeah (laughs) that's
0: a lot of work
1: to me I'm like you know I don't think I realized this it, it wasn't until I was a mother that I understood, oh my gosh, how could this devout woman gather up five daughters and do this every single Sunday? And I think mm-hmm. it's so noble because she did that because she had such unwavering and still does have such unwavering faith. So mm-hmm. it's just, I see that. My personality, as I look back on growing up, And I ask myself on a soul level, why did I choose to be born to Utah? Why did I choose my parents? Because I believe that's all a choice. I don't think that there's control. I think that um, we have the opportunity to pick exactly where our little soul points its arrow. Mm -hmm. And for me to be as independent as I am, to be as stubborn as I am, and to be not rebellious, but just questioning and, and critically thinking. And, and I just have always had this sense of just because you say it doesn't make it true. I want to find out for myself and it's never had an ill intent. It's just, Mm -hmm. I'll find out my, and that's caused me a lot of, I'm going to find it out the hard way scenarios, but on a soul level, of course I would Pick parents who saw the world black and white and were just as stubborn as me. Because had I chosen any other mother or father, I think that with my personality on a soul level, I would have steamrolled them. You know, I like an example would be um, I didn't want to play piano, but the rule was we had to take piano, and I would super glue my fingers together. And have my super glued fingers for days because I didn't want to play piano. (laughs) But when I tell you that I'm stubborn. (laughs) You mean it.
0: Stubborn and rebellious.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I, and see, it's not, it was just, I don't want to do what other people think I have to do. And when we were in the writer's class, not too long ago, and you remember, I read this tiny little paragraph that I had written. I mm-hmm. said in there, I know that I don't like yellow because yellow, this is, I'm telling a story as a child. And then, then I said, as a young child, I didn't know what my favorite color was, but I knew I didn't like yellow because people told me that yellow means you're happy. And I don't like people telling me what to do. <laughs> so yellow's out. Yellow's out, you know, another story that I have from my childhood is as a young girl. uh, I remember my little sister was running in the basement into the, you know, food storage because every good Mormon has a food storage and. She's got this long towhead hair. She's got the '80s Coke bottle, big glasses, and the you know plaid shirt. And she comes in and she's missing her front teeth, and finds me sitting in the chest freezer with my legs dangling, and kicking on the side. She's like, "Well, what are you doing?" And I said, "Oh, I am for sure getting belt spanked. Like, as soon as mom <laughs> and dad know." <laughs> And so, my
0: goodness!
1: It was just, you know, as a child, I really wasn't a naughty child. It wasn't that I was doing naughty things. It was just like weighing the options. I know what the punishment is, but I, I really think I want to experience that, regardless. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it
0: so much.
1: So that that was my personality. Um. I, I feel like being in the culture, um, Utah culture is an interesting culture. You are very much involved in wards and boundaries and um, keeping up with the Joneses and paying attention to the image of perfection. And the portrayal of, and just this white knuckled, I've got to get my family to the celestial kingdom kind of a deal. And mm-hmm. and I do feel like the community did influence me, but it's not anyone's fault, but my own that I ended up with a severe eating disorder for 20 years. Mm, wow. And It was just the pressure that I, I think that it was culturally influenced, but it's not anyone's fault other than my own, because this is worldwide. A teen girl is influenced by that, by media, by things like that. So that was a big part of my story. And a big part of my story was just utter rejection of self and utter rejection of body and image and always feeling like I was falling short and always feeling like I couldn't keep up. And that spiral that just begins to fall yeah. down. And through that lack of self-worth, as great as my upbringing was in terms of, you know, every Sunday at church, every young women's, like I had all of the information, I had all of the ethics and values, you know, drilled into me. I still ended up with just debilitating lack of self-worth mm-hmm. and that of course has a ripple effect or a snowball effect in your life and I had the eating disorder I began managing the eating disorder by taking diet pills and laxatives and I built up a tolerance to those so I couldn't afford as many as I was taking which was around uh, 90 to 120 a day. And so I began shoplifting Um, and in a place of self-worth issues, you're looking for someone to say that you are loved, you are different, you matter. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not that my parents didn't do that. It's that I came from five girls and managing a large household with with I have I have a baby now and it's I can't imagine trying to take care of anyone else. Like I have a toddler that is just kicking my butt right now and I can't imagine trying to juggle a toddler and four other kids and be there emotionally and mm-hmm. keeping up on their schoolwork and so as wonderful and as amazing as my parents were I just think it's practically impossible. So mm-hmm. I for myself just was looking for someone to see I was special and I ended up um, getting pregnant at 19 um, before that in fact when I was got pregnant at 19 about three months before I got pregnant I had attempted suicide and was in the hospital for 10 days mm-hmm. and so I was in and so then three months later I'm pregnant and ended up marrying him. And I just, I'm I'm shaking my head as I think about this. I was in no way mentally healthy enough to be raising a child at all to be a mother. I mean, I look at that now in my forties and I look back at that and go that poor little lady that was a gift and this beautiful person that came to me. So when I had my sweet little, her name's Ashton. And when I had her, The marriage started off and we were just winging it. And like any young marriage, you're just doing your best and you don't know anything about love and you don't know anything about commitment, but we were doing our best and we made our way to the temple. And I remember as I was raising Ashton, she was just a little toddler. And I remember thinking to her, I'm not going to teach her anything about God that is not love. I'm not gonna teach her about those scriptures that say God is judging, vengeance is mine. I said, because I don't I don't know if that's true. And I just don't. I look at this precious little angel and I'm just gonna tell her God loves her. I don't know if God loves me, but I'm just gonna tell her that God loves her. And I, you know, I just was like every other little mom, and I would buy all of these little books, and I would buy all the little. You know, rhyme stories, Bible stories, and just read the toddler books all about. Because all the Sunbeam level is God loves you. Somewhere along the lines, it's like you have to be perfect to make it. But in the in the Sunbeam level, it's pretty cool. Like yeah. <laughs> God loves you no matter what. Let's sing, popcorn popping on the coat. You know, apricot <laughs> tree. Like everything's cool. So I was like, that's where we're gonna be. And what I see now is it was reforming within myself a relationship with yeah. what I understood spirit to be as I had made that decision. And where that came into really, really, really intense soul-searching dark night of the soul um, is my second child or just a couple of years after Ashton. Um Jonah, he passed away at eighteen months, wow. unexpectedly in a matter of ten hours. And I'm so was, sorry. Yeah, it was very hard. It's still very hard. And I think if I would not have spent those two or three years, Every night reading those stories, playing the little, I had a little cassette player and we'd play it at night before she went to bed, playing those little mystery songs, you know, the little fun hand things. Mm -hmm. I think that prepared me in a way for that unknowingly, because for the last three years I said, I'm only going to talk about God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And then to go through loss. At that level, not that any loss is easy, but as a mother, watching, experiencing what was inside of you, what grew in your womb, what you feel and felt was your noble calling, responsibility to protect, not survive. and. It's it's just this utter failure and it's this utter loss. And that shifted me and who I am. And one of the stories that I tell is, and I'll probably be emotional. It's This is, I don't talk about this often. And you said, you don't know my story. Um, When Jonah passed, they were sitting in the hospital waiting in this waiting room and when the doctor came in and said, he's gone, I remember the room erupted. John, my my kids, grandparents were there. My husband was there and it erupted into chaos energetically, but also everybody was screaming. Everybody was wailing. Everybody was crying. I remember looking down at John as he had fallen on the floor and was in this fetal position and I also became aware that I was above the room looking at Katie Joe screaming. And I remember a being of light to my right. And, and I said to the being of light, she is making a ruckus. And I remember the being mm-hmm. saying to me, it's okay, her baby just died. And my mother-in-law grandma sue was in the room and i remember she said to her husband bruce this isn't how it's supposed to be bruce this isn't how it's supposed to be and the being said to me yes this was the plan and i was back into my body into the pain and into the gut wrenching just thrashing and that that was such a gift. It didn't take the pain and the grief, and it still doesn't. But for the last now 20-something years, that memory, how could this be the plan? Mm-hmm. How could this be part of something bigger? Because for probably the first five or six years, I just really felt that God took Jonah because he didn't trust me to be a mother you know and so that's not my faith system now i don't believe god is a male i don't believe things like worthiness in terms of of things like that but i just had to unravel that i had to unravel that how could this be part of the plan And in that immense pain, and in that tremendous just obliteration, as I was looking through and searching for myself, anything that could bring me peace, anything that could bring me solace, of all things, it was the drum. Hmm. And I i was i am i'm an artist and i never cared about drums ironically (laughs) i never touched drums but somebody had seen some of my artwork who liked drums and asked me if i could paint a drum so i did and in that what i considered woo-woo world um i started to get all these drum commissions so i got my Mm. own drum and i thought it was just kind of a nice little thing to have and it was an elk drum i remember and i went and i sat by the river and i would sit every saturday sunday morning before sunrise and i would watch the sunrise in the mountains and i would hold the drum and as i drummed i understood the beat of my heart i understood the sound i i felt peace I mean, I now know that in the womb, we hear the heartbeat. So all drums remind us of the heartbeat and that first place that we were safe, where all of our needs were met, that place between heaven and earth, the interim, the in-between, the drum on a subconscious level, it connects us to that realm between realms and it was such a strange thing and people thought it was such a strange thing. But for me, it was the only thing where the pain wasn't there. And so I, I just would sit and I would feel the earth and I would watch the sunrise and I would see the auras around the trees, which I had never seen before. And I would feel this sense of belonging to The hundreds and thousands of generations of mothers that have lived on the planet that were missing and had missed their children, too, who had sat with drums because drums have always existed on the earth in every culture. And I, I imagine that many of them sat just like I did in that place. And I imagine that as I would sit by the river and I would drum, many of them would come and sit with me and keep me company. And I don't know, but that's what I would think. And, and I just went on with my life. And that's 10 years or so ago. And that was really who I am and what I did, painting drums and drumming by the river in this little closet. You know, closet. This is just something I do. I like it. Nothing else. I was living a normal life like everybody else. And as I was painting drums, of course, you take little, you know, cell phone shots and post them on your social media so now I became known as the drum lady so then people (laughs) thought I did drum circles which I didn't (laughs) then people I was like well I can and you know so (laughs) can you people thought I made drums which I didn't but I thought, well, oh, I can. So then I started, you know, teaching drum making workshops. Mm-hmm. I would take people out to the river with me. I started to do grief groups. I started to do full moon groups. I started to do events, and all I was sharing with, and all I was doing is saying the drum is the heartbeat. And that opened up opportunities that seemed so strange because I would take the drums up. I was asked to go and 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 drum and sit with the women in stage for cancer retreats. I was, mm. you know, so it's just all of a sudden I, by simply just saying, I don't have the answers, but I can sit with you and I can drum and I can tell you how I feel and I, we can sit together and we can feel this together. It just began to expand and the drum circles began to grow, backyard drum circles until we were getting hundreds of people a month were coming and one of the funniest things, which is truly one of the funniest things to me, is I have a beautiful, amazing friend, and I won't name drop her name. She's a little bit famous, but she's just a really amazing woman, does a lot of um, a lot of good for the world. And she was going to go volunteer at the World Parliament of Religions in 2015. I don't know if you remember that. Vaguely. Yeah. The Dalai Lama, Barry Ann Williamson. Yep. Um, oh, yes. I do
0: remember this. Yeah. I had a friend that went.
1: Well, I was a single, I had become a single mom. My marriage didn't survive child loss and um, I was working three jobs and I was so poor and I was doing this once a month drum circle with hundreds of people, but it was all free. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's not like I, I was just Katie Joe. That's who I just, I was just Katie Joe. And I said to my friend, well, I'll come and I'll help you. I know that you've got a lot of obligations, but I can't, I don't know that I can afford to go. The tickets were like $150. And I said, but if if you want, I can come and help you, but can you help me get in as a volunteer? And she said, yeah, just email these people because she was speaking at the event she's like email these people let them know who you are and what you do she's like you should totally let them know like you're legit send them some photos tell them that you do these drum circles kind of a thing and that you'll be you are with me and I said cool I'll do that and I was trying to get in free and I just kept thinking she's gonna tell me when I need to show up she's gonna tell me because I'm gonna carry her bags that's my plan I've taken work off I'm gonna carry her bags for three days that's the plan uh, three weeks before this event, um, she's she calls me. She goes, did you see the emails that just came out? And I go, no. She goes, you're the keynote speaker at the World <laughs> Parliament. <of Republicans.">
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, Katie.
1: <laughs> oh. And I'm just laughing right now. That's what I mean. It's funny. She goes, do you never check your emails? And I said, well, I just was thinking you'd text me and tell me when to show up. <laughs> <laughs> and i was in the brochure and it was the women's it was like the women's the specifically the women's thing and it was so funny like malika chopra G- deepak chopra's doc- daughter was like on the stage with me um who else malcolm x's daughters like they're the four indigenous grandmothers that serve on the united nations yeah. like that's who's there <laughs> and I, I was just trying like i couldn't afford the ticket you know, that was, that was like, this is who I am. I'm some girl that can't afford a ticket. So it was, I, it was so beautiful. um And here's what was so powerful, so powerful about that. Thousands of speakers had applied. I didn't, how did this work out? How did this, you know, poor, broke, single mom end up on the stage and immediately my emails and my social media and my messenger started to get bombarded. You need to say this and you need to do this. And here's my program and you have the platform to speak to the world. So you need to, you know, it just went all of a sudden, all this tidal wave of people's opinions of telling me what I needed to say and how I needed to talk about God coming at me. And um, so what I decided with three weeks prep is that I wasn't going to write anything. I decided that I am going to wing it, which makes sense, right? Except, oh, it did to me. And so I spent the next three weeks in meditation and in prayer and just saying, I don't know why you put me on the stage. Help me be humble enough to deliver whatever you meant me to say.
0: Were you Mormon at this time?
1: I guess you could say yes. <laughs> I I I guess you could say yes. And the reason I'm saying that you could, I guess you could say yes, is because um, I was being a single mom and working uh, that year. In fact, it was that year I had worked seven days a week, and that entire year, the only days off that I had were those days I'd taken off for that event. So I have worked what is that 362 days in a row. So I it, it, like when when I talk about being Mormon, it's it's it became something that was so non-priority for me. It was like my kids need to eat, they need to make it to this appointment or that appointment, I need to handle the daycare. and You know, there was so much that mm-hmm. it wasn't like going to church or anything. That it was it. That was so far beyond what my head could handle. It yeah. was, and I still did my one, one day a month, and I did the drum circle because I was like, one day a month I can serve. I can serve my community. And I made sure my drum circles were non-denominational or and I, when I would do the drum circles, I said, we're not talking politics. we're not talking religion. In this circle, every voice matters. In this circle, there's no above, below, beginning or end. In this circle here, everyone is one. We might not meet on the street. And if we did, we might not talk, but here we do. Mm-hmm. And so we would come together and talk about things that matter to all of us. And we began to talk about spirituality. And that was, you know, we think that integrity or service to your fellow man or doing the right thing or believing there's an afterlife. We think that that, that is attached to a specific religion and it's just not. Mm-hmm. Like those concepts are concepts, whether you're in a in a by the book system or whether you're not and it's Mm -hmm. okay to not have any of those so i had my records were still mormon i just you know it just it just was kind of nothing to me so when i got asked to speak and i was asked to to write what my religion was i i do remember writing non-denominational because i realized and i feel and i i feel this now and i felt that then and and from there on that it would limit me. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: If I identified as I'm only this, Mm -hmm. then it would put me into a category where all those who weren't in that category may not think I had something valuable to say. And if Mm -hmm. I was neutral, then everyone could listen. And then that also held me to a standard where, well, if I was going to be neutral, what is truth or what is the message that applies to all? What is something that I can give that is a value and a philosophy that absolutely everybody can resonate with? Mm -hmm. And so for reference, the World Parliament of Religion, there was almost 10,000 people in my audience, and it was broadcast to 106 nations. So it was an opportunity to speak to the world. And I decided in that moment, I'm only going to speak truth. And truth is relative unless it's not. Because to be truth, it must be universal. Mm -hmm. To be truth, it has to be universal. If it's not universal, it's not truth. So if people are disagreeing about it, it can't be true. It, it, if, ne- if it's that, then it's only opinion. And I know that seems strange. And opinions and beliefs are valuable, and you can code your life to them, but that doesn't mean they're true.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Truth is the sun at this time rises in the east and sets in the west. That is right now truth. Mm-hmm. That there are elements of creation, like air, earth, water, fire. That is truth. It's proven Mm -hmm. that integrity and honesty typically is the best way to go. Things like that, everybody agrees on. Mm -hmm. And so all of those philosophies I found in shamanism. And shamanism is older than religion, and every religion sprouts from shamanism. So I said, well, I just don't know. I don't know what the specifics are. I don't know what the nuances are. I don't know the finite. I actually can't prove anything, but I can just say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go back to the basics and I'm just going to live with that. I'm just going to coat my life off of that. So. Mm -hmm.
0: So how did it go when you spoke?
1: So fun. Oh my gosh. It was so cool. It was so cool it was so cool so I always tell people I talked to Marianne Williamson because I did it went like this she and I were backstage she came up to me and said do you know where the restroom is and I pointed (laughs) her in the right way
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh you're like we had a conversation we did I showed her where the back. was I know her (laughs)
1: Oh yeah. gosh, it was so funny. So what happened is what happened is um I had this chance and I knew this was gonna be broadcast worldwide. And my dear friend who had supported me, you know, who I was gonna carry her bags, mm-hmm. she helped with this nonprofit with some really good causes. And I said to her, Look, they're giving me this time. I'm gonna tell them I have drummers so make sure everybody so gather people together wear your logos every and so when it's my turn to speak i'm going to call all of you up to stand with me In mm-hmm. fact, our friend true was on the stage mm-hmm. with us mm-hmm. and, and so they all came up on the stage and i knew that this image and this brand would be broadcast worldwide as we would stand there my now husband which we were just friends, my now husband was on there because he comes from a a culture that typically doesn't, isn't, I don't want to criticize any culture, but it's it's a different way of being and doesn't historically value women the way that sometimes Mm -hmm. modern society does. And so he said, I want to stand up and represent and show that somebody who looks like me can stand behind women and support them. So it was just powerful moments, you know, and for my speech, I decided to also use half of the time to play a pop song. Oh, (laughs) instead of me speaking at all, I, it doesn't matter what I said. I said what I said, and I know what I said, but what was cool is we cut to music and here in the audience we had people in you know the the headdresses and the Sikhs and the Krishnas and people and the Buddhists and the Christians and the all these people from all over the world that were representing their religion stand up in the audience and start dancing and what oh. went across the airwaves were the the camera scanned for the audience strangers and remember this one nun with this big wooden cross and and beads hanging down dancing to this pop song with other people holding hands that were dressed with like I I don't want to insult anybody's religion because I don't know them well enough but like dancing with people that were kind of in eastern garb whatever their faith was so it was just beautiful amazing to me that was what was Significant to me. What I said, mm. you know, is words lost in the wind. But that was the power of that moment.
0: Wow! Wow! So. Really cool. Wow! So when oh, I love that you shared all that, and I've loved your story so far. I'm curious when you, because you and I were chatting a little bit before, yeah. so that it was just kind of not a thought as far as if you stayed in or didn't. So I'm curious when you did decide. You know what? Was that your moment of? I'm non-denominational. I'm not identifying as Mormon anymore. Oh, or there was know. another.
1: I'll tell you what happened. It's kind of fun. I, well, it's not fun. It makes no sense. It doesn't matter. But it was so, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm just thinking it through. Wait, you, lot- Katie,
0: will you remember that every time you move or maybe adjust it, you can hear it rubs on your collar. Yeah, The mic it, does.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I I'd. Thought you, I thought you were hearing my baby cry, so I moved. <laughs> nope, I couldn't hear yeah. the baby cry. Um, so let's think how that worked out. I became really passionate about women and men having equal rights. Yeah. I became really passionate that there's not one gender Who deserves more than another or should have authority over another? Mm -hmm. Now, I want to say that I'm not ever against anything, but I am very much for a person, any person, whatever is in your underwear drawer, having the sovereignty to make their own choices and being taught and teaching that every single person has the authority to make their own choices and decisions and that's their that's their birthright that's their mm-hmm. birthright mm-hmm. and it's also powerful because to be powerful we must take the risk of making decisions that could be wrong mm-hmm. and when we give our power away it's when we follow somebody who's supposed to be the authority with the idea that, well, whether it's wrong or right, it's on them. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm
1: only in charge of making sure that I follow and follow nobly. So it's just a different way. I also became very passionate about supporting our LGBTQ community. I became passionate about women not Disabling themselves by not handling their own finances. And that comes from being a single mom because that's not what I did in my marriage. I didn't handle my finances. And I learned from that and I realized how that harmed myself and ultimately my children. Yeah. So as I became passionate about that, a lot of people would begin to speak to me and they'd say, well, in my religion, this, or in the gospel, this. And they would invite me to um have missionary discussions and they would invite me to come out to events. And at this time I wasn't attending church, but I was not dating. I was not kissing boys. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. so I wasn't like living this I was modestly dressed. Like I mean I mean honestly I was just on I was just very open about how I felt about that, and yeah. because of that, people assumed I had left the church huh. which I think is telling. no kidding now, now, I left the church, I pulled my records two years ago, oh,
0: just so pretty recently, ago. yeah,
1: yeah, and the reason that I did, and it was really cool what I didn't know is that if you if you want to leave the church that the bishopric has to come over and have a chat with you. So now I know. They're like the the local bishopric, whoever is in charge, they'll come over and they'll sit down and say what's wrong. I think that's great. They're trying to find out what's wrong. Have you been, and they said, have you been offended? Is there anything wrong? Is, you know, and I said, no, I just feel like it limits my voice. I'm here to speak to the world it limits my ability to serve. And I I don't want have any, I don't, don't want anything to limit my ability to serve. And I know that seems ironic because one of the best things about the LDS faith is their network of service. They're networked communities where somebody's baby falls, you know, baby scratches their knee and is hurt and somebody's on your doorstep with a casserole by dinner time like there's just such a networked community and service is so built in but for me I just felt like it limited me because I wanted to speak about unity and if I speak about unity but then say I am this and identify as one of one you know one thing Mm -hmm then I felt like I was not living in integrity for me wanting to be something that was saying I'm separate from the rest because I want to identify as this one separate thing. Yeah. And how I look at spirituality now is, again, I'm not against any, but I think of spirituality to me is a path of knowing you are one with the divine and that can be found in religion and that can be found outside of it mm-hmm. but when you think of that and i i compare this in a way to a doctor doing heart surgery and if if i needed to go to a doctor and i said i need you to have heart surgery and i said tell me your background and they said i've read one medical book but i've read it A lot of times (laughs) I would feel very uncomfortable about whether they were perhaps an expert in their Mm -hmm. field. And if my goal on a soul level is to find where I know that I know and that I am, that I am, then I need to read more than one book. In fact, I need to read them all. And I need to see what every spiritual master and guru taught in terms of this is how I know that I know. Not because you need to follow me, not because you have to do it my way. But I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice how you know. I don't believe in anti, like the the readings that are anti. I don't think that that necessarily serves. But mm-hmm. to hear other people's spiritual journeys and what worked for them, and where they felt the most divine and the most connected, I think that's when I look at that and I say, "How can I implement that in my life? Does that resonate, or does it not? Because for me, who would have thought the drum, but that's one of my most significant spiritual experiences that I continue to do and practice,
0: yeah,
1: so did that's that beautiful. answer Yes,
0: because I don't no,
1: absolutely I go on tangents all the time.
0: No, That was beautiful. And I I would wholeheartedly agree. In fact, I thought a few times people will mention that they've read the CES letters. You know, that usually is one of those pieces of why people choose out. And I had the thought a few weeks ago, gosh, maybe I should read it because I've never read them. So I actually downloaded it and I had it on my desktop and I thought, okay, I'm going to read it just to be informed. And then I'm like, you know, how does this serve me? I don't, I don't have any desire to go into into that that place. So I love that you just spoke to that of of researching and reading stories of spirituality because at the end of the day, that's what everyone's seeking, and some find it through religion and some some don't. Um, I had someone recently made a make a comment that it's a little ironic because in Mormonism, it's all about seeking. And yet that's when people end up leaving the the religion. It's usually because they are seeking and they start uncovering things that don't feel true or they find truth in other things. And so in some ways, I think it's a beautiful gift for me. I've always been a seeker and how much of that came from my natural soul level of who I am or how much of it came from some of the religious upbringing. I don't know, but it is, you know, we're supposed to seek. That's what we were taught when we were little. And there. there's
1: there's the seeking, but there's there's also beyond that.
0: Mm-hmm. I haven't
1: read the CES letter. I know a lot of people are I do post on my social media things that are question questions and mm-hmm. I know people get really angry. People talk about faith crises and they get really angry and there's a lot of fair anger involved. Oh, and one day, one day I was talking to a lady and she was so angry. She had recently left the church and she felt betrayed. Mm-hmm. And I said, Knowing that these same issues exist in the Catholic church. Are you also angry at them? Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, no, I said because you didn't buy into the Catholic Church, you bought in. So, I, I recognize this. I just it's, it, I recognize this in myself, is what I mean. We get angry at ourselves, we get angry at ourselves because we took it at face value. Like, I'm not angry at my parents, I respect their faith. I respect, I don't need to go on Sundays and have dinner with them and argue about. That doesn't matter. Do you know what I do know? My parents taught me about looking for something of enlightenment. My parents taught me about service and helping the widows on the weekends. My mm-hmm. parents taught me about uh, moderation in food and drink. My parents, t- you know, all of that. So I, I can say the LDS church, or I can say, but read a health book. Says so the same thing. Like mm-hmm. these, these concepts of it. What if it's not right and wrong? what if these are just concepts can i accept the concepts and what concepts work for me and maybe i don't want to live this concept anymore mm-hmm. you know and so these are just it's not and so that's i guess i'm stumbling on my words but i just i just look at things like that where an analogy that i like to use all of the time when i eat apples i don't eat the core but starving people do and you know you can gain a lot of nutrition from the core but I don't like to eat the core. And I feel that way about just about everything. Mm -hmm. There's a lot about anything that maybe I'll take in and I'll nourish for myself. And there's stuff that I can just throw away. Even if it's good for me, even if maybe it's right, I don't have to eat it. It can just be done.
0: Well, and this comes to that, what you're speaking to earlier, as far as universal truth versus subjective truth. And I think at the end of the day, all of us are looking for what feels true to us. So one day it may look like this, the next day something different, but that's the seeking part of what feels true to me. What do I identify? What feels good? What is God to me? What does God look like? Because God to me looks very different now than he did 10 years ago. And it's not a he, it's a, you know, very ambiguous type of God figure, you know, and I think that that's that's at the end of the day that's what all of us are looking for is just finding what that truth feels like for us and then recognizing that it is personal so it is subjective
1: mm-hmm. We talk a lot in shamanism about non attachment mm-hmm. and you attached to, and I know you you've you've come through that path in shamanism too. So we can be just as attached to shamanism as we were attached to a faith or attached to a uh, college degree. We mm-hmm. can be attached to whatever we think gives us value. And and if we were use the words divine worth, but at the same time attach our divine worth to the temple recommend or the calling, it's an attachment to something that's not divine worth. Because mm-hmm. where is my loyalty? And if my loyalty is to a system and it's not a bad or good system, it's a, but it is a system, then it's a lower level on the hierarchy of soul. Mm-hmm. I must be always loyal to where my heart leads. Because when I look at, and I like to say this all the time, but when I look at the greatest masters that are known to be the masters, like Christ, or Buddha, or Krishna, they had the courage amongst religion to say, I'll follow my own heart. I'm not Mm -hmm. against what you're doing. But for me, I need to follow my own way and Mm -hmm. do it the way that feels right for me, and then everybody after them said, You need to do it like they did, but they didn't say that, right. they simply said, I need to follow what my heart dictates. And to bring in the big JS word, Joseph Smith, he had the courage to say, None of these religions are true. What if the message? And I don't want to get, you know, the he, here he, he said, he should, you know, he said, she said. But what if the message hasn't changed? What if, what if that message is still there? What if that message that the angels came and they spoke and they said none of them? What if that didn't change after mm-hmm. 50 years passed? Mm-hmm. What if that was the message he was here to bring more than anything else?
0: Well, and then him being a man and his filters and his desires then creates a religion from that because he had his filters instead of just taking yeah. that as truth.
1: Yeah. Well, and- yeah, that's the tangent, as you know, cause I I'm pretty strongly advocating not, I don't support the patriarchy. I don't support matriarchy. I don't support anything based on gender being used for control. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I can, I can go down that rabbit hole really far. (laughs) (laughs) You and I
0: both could, but I, and I think that that's something that we often forget is at the end of the day, we all have our filters and the way that we receive information. So even my God and your God, if I receive you and I receive the same thing, we would interpret it differently because our filters are different. And I think mm-hmm. that, that that is one of the things that often gets forgotten. And at the end of the day, we all battle ego. We all battle being human and greed and desire and whatever it is because that's part of the human life. And some people take it to extremes and needing to control others and others are more humble and and in in serving. And he, and both sides, the irony is it's both sides of that coin, the person is being filled somehow and it's mm-hmm. through their filters. And so can we really fault someone following what they felt was truth for them? Mm-mm. We, you know, we chose into it, like you're saying, and that at the end of the day, that's who we get to be. Our anger, our grief that we're going through is more to do with ourself and why we chose into something.
1: Mm-hmm. and also we it and then we forgive ourselves because mm-hmm. everybody's just doing the best that they can at the time with yeah. the information that they have mm-hmm. and did it serve my life and does it still all of those things that I was trained and taught and all of those things that I grew from was raised with have shaped me into the person that I am yeah you know so I don't believe and Specific things that are considered doctrine. I don't believe in certain theories or writings, but other things shaped me and created mm-hmm. and and really served my life. And here I am, just like I said. Thank you to my soul for pointing my arrow at my parents' house because have I come in with such a stubborn disposition. And such a questioning disposition and you can't make me do what I don't want to do, which by the way, karma is real and all of my kids (laughs) like me, but (laughs) I would have chosen, you know, I did choose them and it's neither here nor there, but it's fun too. Because one time I remember my eight-year-old son. Was just nose to nose with me being stubborn. And I it was so funny because I looked at him and it was that battle of parent to child. This is many years ago. And I remember saying to him, You will not outstubborn me. I have 30 <laughs> years on you. Like, <laughs> you know? Oh shoot. But they're here to be their own path. And I will admit, and I I, I will be humble and I'll be open and vulnerable. You know, my kids are walking their paths. They're not mm-hmm. paths that I would choose for me. And as I look at them, I don't know that it's my place to say that I would choose that for them. And it's their path. Yeah. They get to make their choices. They get to decide what is true and what they believe for them. And coming from, from where I've come from, I've learned that. And so I let them be because I can only be in charge of what I believe. I can only be in charge of the code of life I want to live. Mm-hmm. And when I go to my parents, I respect the way that they practice and they I pray with them the way that they pray. And I am very conscious because if I went to any home across the planet, and I have, I've gone to India and I've gone to Peru and I've gone to Kenya, you know, and you respect where you go. How do they live? How do they eat? How do they worship? And how do they pray? You do that out of respect for them because it's their house. Mm-hmm. And in my house, I can do what I want. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Speaking of being a parent, you are creating this co uh, collaboration book around mothers, correct?
1: I am. I am. You, you want to speak to that a little? Yeah, this is really, I'm so excited about this. We're looking for people who want to write one chapter. Now, this idea came about because I just had a baby. And I say that, but he's almost two. And he came in as a surprise. And my other four kids were in my 20s. And having a surprise baby in your 40s is like getting hit by a train. And I went and we had him just a week or so before the state set, you know, shut down for COVID. Mm-hmm. So there was no childcare assistance. There was no people to come and help with the baby. There was, everything was shut down. Everything was socially d- distanced. Nobody, I think my mom met him twice, came over twice in six mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. And so many women have gone through that postpartum journey alone. But more than that, most of the work that I do is with Most of my events, women are coming through and hearing the wounds of motherhood and feeling like they're all alone because they're not perfect, feeling like I'm not doing it right because I did this. And then other women open up and they're like, honey, that's nothing. Let me tell you my story. And people start healing. And when we talk about women's voices, we're titling this book, The Untold Stories of Motherhood.
0: Mm, beautiful
1: I was talking to Kiera who I know has been on your show and I said to her you know for like roughly the last I think 4,000 years all the men have been speaking so it's okay for us to start because all of the stories and all of the spiritual stories are like 98 percent Written by men, almost all directors of movies, I think the ratio is something like 95% male. So all of the media we see, all of the movies we've watched is the woman's perspective through male's eyes. And it is time as women, we start to share our stories from our place and our own feet. And I think I'm doing this for myself, but I'm also doing this for my children because we're wanting people who are first-time mothers. What was that like? What about if you're a boy mom versus a a girl mom? What is it like to be an adoptive mom? What is it like? Tell us your story if you're a first mom known as birth mom. Tell Mm. us the stories. What about your grandmother? Do you have a story about her what is it like to be an empty nester you know so these are the stories from me I want my children to know my voice what is it like to be a mother and I want other mothers to know and I'm doing this quite a bit right now because I'm witnessing so many women going through postpartum Mm -hmm. and with COVID and the social distancing it's even more alone than it's ever been And all we see as we're connecting only through virtual reality is we're seeing only the projections of perfection. We're not seeing the real stuff. We're not seeing those dark times. And as I was watching that over the last two years, these Instagram moms, and I'm sitting there with, you know, snot on both of my shoulders and a baby who won't stop crying I just was sinking down into this hole and feeling like even more of a failure and not being able to connect with my friends or have that out. Mm -hmm. So let's share the stories in an authentic way, but with the purpose of letting people know that I've been there too, and I've gotten through. Here's how, and you can make it too. And just stop putting the pressure on yourself. And I hope we get funny stories and heart-wrenching stories. And I hope we get women who are willing to be really vulnerable and women who are willing to honor their mothers and women who are willing to honor themselves. Women who are willing to say, yeah, my mom was a really mean person, but that's okay. You know, whatever it is. And we're going to, the intention at this time is to create this every year and launch it on Mother's Day. Mm. So, we're getting gathered, we're gathering women together. We're going to get the stories. Everybody just needs to write a couple pages by March. So, no big deal. It's doable.
0: Yeah, totally doable. A couple
1: pages by March, that's doable. People can do it in a day if they really want to.
0: How many um, authors are you looking for for this first one?
1: For that one, maybe Kier the better answer, but I think 20. Mm -hmm. 20.
0: And then you guys have a call that you're going to do to answer questions, correct? And that's February 8th,
1: February 8th at 10 AM. And it's a free call. So it'll, it'll be great to get connected. I, one of a friend of mine just lost a son in November who to cancer, he was 10 years old. And I messaged to check in on her. She's like, people are there for me and my family's there for me and my partner's there for me and I'm just really struggling and I'm trying to get through. And I I remember in that conversation, in the, in the back and forth, I said, as much as they loved your son, it's different as a mother to have the experience as a mother to mm-hmm. lose that. And they loved him and you love him. And it's not better, worse. There's not more, less, but it's a significantly different loss. And there really is no getting through. There's just walking on, you know, and, and that's part of what is prompting us is when we share our stories and our perspectives, we give other people permission and we let them know that they're seen and they yeah. understand. So
0: yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Katie Joe, our time is is getting probably should wrap up. Is there anything else you feel like you would and I'll make sure and I know you have your website, and you have this beautiful facility Sage Canvas down in Lehigh where you offer so many beautiful classes and, and experiences and all sorts of things. So I'll make sure and cite that in the show notes so that they can connect with you as well as your Instagram. But is there anything else you feel like you'd like to say for anyone that is going through the shifts and transitions of stepping out of religion, any advice or final thoughts?
1: Hmm. I think the biggest, the biggest, I think the biggest advice I would have for that, is just to trust yourself, Mm. trust yourself. If it doesn't feel like it makes sense, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to everyone else. If it doesn't make sense to you, that's enough authority for you to say it doesn't make sense. And it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be right. And it's okay to put things on the shelf and say, I just don't know if I can figure this out right now. Yeah. And just navigate that inner voice. Because if you can work on that inner voice, then the inner voice ultimately is going to lead you where you need to go. So just, mm-hmm. you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I also have to say, with me, as an example, you might have to create your own community. It is very lonely. To feel like you're outside of a community. It is very lonely to look like you're looking for one. So you might have to create yours. And mm-hmm. it's as simple as being authentic in your truth. And people who are authentic in theirs will be drawn to you and your community yeah. will organically grow.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful.
1: Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. It's been thank such a
0: pleasure. You. I love your story, such beautiful stories. Oh my goodness.
1: Well, thank you. I've Again, honored to be asked. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Wasn't this another beautiful, beautiful interview? And I am truly grateful for Katie Jo and sharing her very vulnerable story and all of the lessons and the gifts and the tools that she's gained and cultivated. I'm sure you all gained something by listening to her story. To follow more with Katie Jo, you can head over to her website, Katie Jo Drum, that's K-A-T-I-E-J-O Drum, D-R-U-M dot And I will make sure and post her website in the show notes. And then if you are feeling called to be a co-collaborator in this beautiful upcoming book that she's creating, head over to her social media, that's at Katie Jo Drum, on Instagram and you can message her there and get the link for the zoom call that is next Tuesday or actually Tuesday, February 8th at 10 AM. And as always sending you all so much love, know that each experience in life is growing and teaching you parts that you didn't know that you had within those gifts, those strengths, those abilities, you're cultivating them through every experience. So I hope that you get to see the gifts and the experiences that you're going through today. And as always, sending you so much love.